is where Jerusalem would eventually be established. And he is told to sacrifice his son, but just at the point when he's about to do that, God stays his hand and he says, God will provide himself the sacrifice. And it's a picture of what would happen 2,000 years after Abraham when Jesus would come into the same region on a donkey and sacrifice himself. I hope you're enriched by that as you look at that during the week. How about we pray before we get started on this week? Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, that we're not just here alone, but you, you are here with us by your spirit, Father. Uh, Lord, we just want to submit ourselves to you today, Father. We to thank you for your precious word. Father, I, I pray for my words that you will just use them. And I pray for our hearts that you will open our hearts, that we might receive the good portion that you have for us. Thank you. Um, I had some interesting conversation with Susan Benzer, actually, um, <laughs> during the week about the homework. And she said the last time she did this study, it was uh, at uni in German. So that's interesting, studying the cleansing of the temple in German. But no, I know. Then she, she explained to me that she'd actually gone to uni and studied German. And so I appreciate those people that have put in some time to, to be studying the text today. So the other part of the homework was to compare the four Gospels. The cleansing of the temple appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And it's worthwhile us getting into that because the gospel writers come from slightly different perspectives and we can build a picture of what actually occurred that day. And what I'd like to do to start with is just kind of go over uh, some of the key points from the four gospels. So in the gospel of Matthew, the one that we've just heard, Jesus drove out those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the tables. The blind and the lame came to him and the Pharisees confronted him. They were indignant with what he was doing in the temple. I don't know whether you picked it up in, in the book of Mark, but there's something that's very interesting about the account in Mark. Jesus comes in on the donkey. He goes to the temple, but it's late. And so he goes away to Bethany for the night before he comes back in the morning and overturns the tables. That's an interesting inclusion. It wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. He didn't turn up at the temple after his triumphal entry and do what he did. He went away, most likely sought his father's face and prayed about what his response would be. In Mark, we hear that the Pharisees were seeking to destroy him because of what he did in the temple. In Mark, it tells us that um, the people were astonished at his teaching. Luke says uh, people were hanging on his words as Jesus uh, spoke in the temple. Now, I don't know whether you picked it up, but the Gospel of John has a very different take on what happened. Uh, sheep and oxen are mentioned. Jesus makes a whip to help cast them out. He talks about the temple being destroyed and rebuilt, looking forward to himself one day when he would die and be resurrected. And the disciples quote, the zeal for your father's house has consumed him. Very different. There's something else quite unique about the passage. It appears in John chapter 2. 
at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, just after the wedding at Cana where he turns water into wine, he goes to Jerusalem at the Passover and he does the cleansing of the temple. Matthew, Mark and Luke include my house shall be called a house of prayer. The John account doesn't say that. The conclusion to be reached is that Jesus did this on at least two occasions. And I think it's interesting, I don't know whether that occurred to you, but in some ways his cleansing of the temple bookended his ministry. His ministry virtually began with zeal for his father's house, going into the temple and doing what he did. And his ministry in its closing days, his earthly ministry, he did the same thing. And I would argue that everything in between was about zeal for his father's house, about having his father glorified. I want to start off today by um, thinking about the temple and considering the temple to which Jesus is heading. Judaism was a religion that was focused very much on the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the centre of Judaism and the temple was the centre of Jerusalem. In 1 Kings chapter 8, when the temple is dedicated, Solomon's temple, there's prayers about looking to the temple, praying your prayers towards God's house which is established in Jerusalem. When you sin, look towards the temple and pray those prayers. When there's enemies at the gate, look to the temple in Jerusalem and pray towards Jerusalem. When there's drought, when there's famine, do these things. Look to the temple. Every aspect of Jewish society was infused with a sense of devotion to their God. They had their Sabbaths. Their week was punctuated by stopping, putting the tools down, and having a day of rest because of the command in Scripture. Their year was punctuated by various feasts, times when they stopped and celebrated God's provision, times when they stopped and looked back and said, look what God did, look at his mighty hand that he has delivered us from Egypt and so on. Their whole society was built upon the premise of a good God who gave to them, who looked after them, who protected them. If you look in the Psalms, uh, I'll reference it, Psalms 120 to 134, they're called songs of ascent. They're psalms that were repeated and sung as people pilgrimaged towards Jerusalem to the temple. Any of those psalms begin with a song of ascent. Pilgrims would prepare themselves for coming before God by repeating these psalms. And so it's somewhat ironic that the temple on this day, God himself was present. Jesus, God's son, is present in the temple and he's not recognised or welcomed. There's enough fuel in that to... Uh, spark our devotional life for the next few weeks. Jesus is walking through the temple, particularly the Mark account where he goes and he surveys what's going on in the temple. 
and is not recognized and welcomed by the religious authorities. Yeah, could you, could you, I've got a few times I want you just to picture things. Imagine the activity in the temple, the hustle and bustle, people doing good things, people maybe cleaning, people moving things about and so on. God himself is there, walking through that place. John Stott is a um, theologian, he's now in glory, and he said, one would think that Israel, prepared and educated for centuries for the arrival of her Messiah, would recognise and welcome him in that place. One would think that Israel, prepared and educated for centuries for the arrival of her Messiah, would recognise and welcome him when he came. But they did not. And the irony goes even further because this idea of temple is fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the fulfilment of all the temple, what it was about. If you were to summarise and distill the essence of what the temple was, it was the idea of approaching a most holy God through sacrifice. He is holy and the only way to approach him is by the death of these animals and the blood being spilt so that you could approach a holy God. There's a depiction of the temple. The whole business was a pointer to Jesus. And Jesus is in the temple and he's not recognised. Not only that, but the time of the year was the Passover, a major festival. It was a festival where they, they looked back to God's delivering hand in Egypt. And God brought a number of judgments on the Egyptians. And the last great judgment was that the firstborn, even of Pharaoh's house, through to the slaves, even the firstborn stock would be killed in one night. And what God commanded the Hebrew people to do was to kill a lamb and to put the blood of the lamb over the lintel of the door. And when the angel of death came that night, the angel of death would pass over, that's where we get the word from, would pass over those houses because of the blood of the lamb. The Passover fulfilled in the person of Jesus, whose blood would save us from death and bring us everlasting life. All the pictures in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is something of a sacred treasure hunt. There's so much beauty there. There's so many signposts pointing to Jesus. Who else do we know in all of human history who's had anything like this said about them? The glory of our Lord. When, when we think about Christianity, it's not just that we, we have a belief and that's it. We've got the whole Old Testament as pointers to this wonderful Jesus. There's one more I wanted to tell you about, but I'm not going to actually tell you the answer. I want you to find it yourself. This is your homework. I'll try to remember lollies next week. And it's this. The temple itself has got many aspects to it which point to Jesus. The showbread, the, the lights that are in there and so forth. The different sacrificial ceremonies that went on. The temple was built on a certain location. And what I want you to do is find it in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, 
the location that the temple was built because it's significant. And there's a pointer to Jesus in that location. So that's your homework. I'd like you to dig in. It's the end of, I think it's the end of 1 Chronicles and the beginning of 2 Chronicles. Have a look at it. And when you find it, stop and worship. Sit in his presence and thank him for the many wonderful signs he has that point to Jesus. Something to ponder. We're going to get into the text in a minute and follow it through. Um, but before we do, I just wanted to think about the Mark text where Jesus is walking through the temple. And I have a question for us to think about, a devotional thought for this week. And it's this. Do you recognise God in your midst? Do you recognise God in your life? How crazy that there's people in the temple doing temple activities and God himself is there, the centre of all things, and they're not aware of it. Are we aware of God in our presence? We sometimes, you know, the story of Mary and Martha, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and, and enjoying her Lord and Martha's out making sandwiches in the kitchen. I feel for her. God's come to lunch. Um, yeah. Do you recognise God in your midst? Or do we sometimes have this kind of thing? We look back and say, oh, I remember when God showed up. I remember at Easter camp. Oh, the sense of God's presence was amazing. Or maybe it was a beach mission or a tent crusade or visiting evangelists or something. Most Christians have a story of the time when the sense of God's presence was really strong, yeah? Looking back. Or maybe we look forward and say, you know, when we tick certain boxes as a church, that maybe there'll be this sense of God's presence or something like that. You know what we have? We've got the day. We've got just the ordinariness of today and our Lord is with us. We walk by faith, not by sight. We have his word, we have his spirit, and we have his people. He is with you in your ordinary days, your boring Monday mornings, in your uncertainties, in your fatigue. The Lord of life is with you. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing to stop and reflect upon. And maybe this week to sit in gratitude. Lord, you're so good to me. You're with me and you're speaking to me through your word. And to share that with others. Let's dive into the text. That's my introduction. Now I'm going to start preaching. No, no. Um, we're just going to go through the text and, and talk about it as we do. Um, Matthew 21, 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. You know, often in our world today, Jesus is portrayed as soft or weak, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Today, I want you to feel his anger. The anger of God the Son. Picture the scene. Money is scattered. Tables and seating is overturned and probably damaged. People are scurrying about, some are shouting, others are challenging. Kids are probably collecting coins off the ground. 
There's disruption, there's mayhem. The status quo has been disrupted. He drove them out. Drove them out. The temple was cleared of the noise of the market. The temple was cleared of the noise of the market. Silence. Jesus said to Philip, like we looked at last week, when you see me, you see the Father. And God the Son is angry. It's an unsettling image, maybe. Hard to reconcile with a loving God, someone who's getting angry. Why is Jesus so concerned? The John scripture tells us that the disciples were quoting zeal for his father's house has consumed him. That's a quote from uh, Psalm 69. What does it mean, this zeal? I think, it, I think what is being said is that Jesus wants God to be seen clearly for who he is. Glorified and correctly approached with awe and reverence. But instead, it was a marketplace. Caiaphas and his family, the high priest, was probably taking uh, the cream of the money from the traders. It was a big, a big deal. Not only that, but Jesus himself tells us why he is angry. Verse 13, he said to them, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you make it a den of robbers. This scripture, a house of prayer, is included in Matthew, Mark and Luke, and it's a quote from Isaiah 56. And what I want to do is just look at Isaiah 56 and prise it open a bit. When Jesus says a house of prayer, what does he mean? And this is the scripture from Isaiah 56, 7. It's talking about foreigners coming in to the temple. If you read the scripture before that, these, talking about foreigners, I'll bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. People coming from everywhere, access, people able to come into the temple, prayers being offered, sacrifices being made and accepted it's not just that sacrifices were being made god the father is accepting those sacrifices and there's joy can you picture that people coming from all around coming in praying prayers of contrition prayers of surrender offering sacrifices sacrifices being received and accepted and there being joy When I was meditating on it, I, I, I came up with a word that I think in some ways fits as a summary of it, and it's the word restoration. People experiencing restoration, coming before God, and it being made right. There's a parable in Luke 18 where Jesus talks about going to the temple to pray. It's uh, Luke 18, I'll read it out. 9 to 14. That's Jesus speaking. He also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee 
and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And here is what the Lord of life summarises the parable with. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The idea of coming into his sanctuary and experiencing forgiveness and being restored. But instead, Jesus comes into a marketplace where there's, I've written a list down of different thoughts, bartering, people being ripped off, money-making, maybe scheming, two-for-one deals. This fisherman's only got one leg, and you throw it here for half price, this sort of stuff. It's not the point of the sacrifice. The sacrifice is meant to be bring the perfect sacrifice to God. These sorts of things that have been going on. Commerce, maybe barked orders to apprentices, get more stock in and so on. It wasn't weeping and praying and repentance and joy. It wasn't a softening of hearts. The whole deal of the temple was to prepare people for Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of temple. So that when Jesus would come, they'd have soft hearts and bow the knee. think about the cleansing of the temple, I think we often think about the negative, the, the clearing out, the getting rid of the, the traitors and so on. But Jesus goes on in, in Matthew 21 to a most beautiful picture of this stuff. Take it from verse 13. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple them. Isn't that beautiful? Can you picture that? I mean, again, I, I think sort of visually I, I like to try to picture stuff. I'm kind of imagining the dust settling after all the commotion, the tables have been turned over, you've got the porticos in the, the main part of the temple, and you've, you've probably got groups of Pharisees muttering in one corner, and you've got traders in another, maybe chatting with the Pharisees, upset with what's going on, but essentially there's quiet and then out of the shadows come the broken, the blind and the lame, those that can't afford to buy sacrifices. And they come to Jesus. And they touch him. And he touches them. And they're surprised at his touch. For his touch heals. And blind eyes are opened. And weak limbs are strengthened. There's gratefulness and laughter and tears. There's children singing Hosanna to the son of David. This is what temple 
to see people. You come out of the, the rough place of the world and you come to the sanctuary and you come before a holy God and he restores people. Where's his face? Jesus sees them. They were astonished at his teaching. Restoration. I've got a, a couple of um, points to make about restoration, and that's the end. These are applications, really. The first one is, is kind of blunt, really, and it's this. What does this restoration mean to you? What does restoration mean to you? What is your experience of restoration? His outstretched hand to you. Grace, forgiveness, healing, hope, peace in the storm, belonging. Good other points to open up. Little testimony for myself. I grew up. I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, it knew a lot about the Lord, you know. And, but I had a time in my teenage years where I, I was investigating everything and trying to find the truth for myself, and really lost my way. I got into things that are occultic. Read books about the mystic path, the cosmic power. Really lost my way. And I can tell you exactly the time when my Lord spoke. In all of his, not only his righteousness, but in his goodness. called me by name. The simplicity of the gospel message. Looking at me, seeing me for exactly who I was and loving me still. Restoration. Last week I looked briefly at the, the woman at the well. We talked about the woman at the well uh, with Jesus. And she had hopes, didn't she? She had hopes about this coming Messiah, this great Messiah who would come, who would bring in an everlasting kingdom and there would be scores of people that would come. This Samaritan who was despised by the Jews, who was also probably despised by her own people because of the way she'd been living. God met her at her point of thirst. God spoke to her name and restored her. He met you, if you're a Christian. He met you. And he restored you. This is the heartland of the gospel message. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and pride. And he is making, changing words, he's making something beautiful of my life. He's restored me and he's changing me daily. 
The application today is that this week you spend some time in gratitude. Sit before your Lord and thank him for what he's done. Secondly, is just a general point about the centrality of restoration in the heart of God. God wanting to restore people. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Whatever you do, may it be that he is glorified and that people are restored to him. That people are made right and that people continue to walk in the light. How cool is it today with what John put up on the screen, seeing those nine people being baptised? So so beautiful. It's special. Bush Church A is all about restoration. David setting up the church today is about restoration. Aiming on sound today is all about restoration. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord in order that he might be glorified and people restored to him. God wants to reach people and he wants to use you. I want to just finish off the text now. Um, And it's this last, the last part of it is this, that when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Boy, it's their fault striking, isn't it, thinking about that. Here's the temple. Here's people being restored. Here's children crying out in praise. And the Pharisees are indignant. Wow. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. You know what Jesus is quoting there is actually Psalm 8. And we're just going to close with this. Jesus is quoting Psalm 8. I'll just read verses 1 and 2. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to sue the enemy and your people. This is a psalm that is praising the eternal God and Jesus attributes the psalm to himself. He is Lord of all. O Jesus, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we just sit in silence for a moment, reflecting on restoration. Thank you that you have called us to yourself. Father, we thank you that you've begun us on the journey of faith and that you'll take us safely to the end. We thank you for gifts. We're going to have a couple of songs now and then we'll have communion. Yes, it's uh, always good to respond.
in a way after hearing that in our next song um, speak to that so well my chains are gone I've been set free yeah so you're uh, welcome to stand and sing Amazing 